Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so excited to be with you all and glad that you chose to spend your Sunday here with us. This morning, we're getting into the last message in our series called Exodus, the Human Story. And in this series, we've been talking about how the events that took place about 4,000 years ago actually parallels the story of our own lives. Over the last few years of my life, ever since that I knew that I wanted to be a pastor, I've been on the lookout for sermon illustrations. Like when things happen in my life, I try to find a spiritual meaning for it to to go with it. And my small group told me that I'm not allowed to use them as sermon illustrations. So I guess that's the scary thing about being in a small group with someone who preaches. But the next best place to find sermon illustrations, I think, is out in the wilderness, just doing some fun, adventurous things. And when I was out in the Adirondacks a few months ago on a canoe trip, I had an experience that I thought, oh man, this will make a really good sermon illustration. So let me tell you about this trip. I'm out on the water of this lake, and it's pitch black. It's pretty much like early on in the night, and it's so dark I could hardly see my hand in front of my face. And... We're paddling to our campsite that's 1.2 miles away. And let me just preface this whole situation by saying that we had found this campsite in the daytime, and it took us like hours to be able to find it. And so now we had to find it in the complete darkness. And the only way that I had to navigate to this campsite was just with a compass. And so I had this compass sitting down in front of me, and I'm steering the canoe, trying to keep the needle lined up. And if you watch the trajectory of my canoe, it would have looked like this. Like, it's kind of like driving a car if you can only see two feet in front of you. Like, we were snaking around all over the place. And there were times when I was like, you know what? My gut feeling is saying that camp is over here, but my, my compass is telling me to go this way. And there were moments when I wanted to take that compass and just chuck it in the water because I felt like I knew better. But I stayed true to following the course of the compass. And after paddling for a while, we came up on some darker shadows, and we thought that was the shore. So we're like, all right, I think that's land. We all shone our flashlights, and there in front of us, just 15 feet dead ahead, was our campsite. And so I walked up to the campsite like, hey, see, I knew we could get there with the compass. But deep down in the back of my mind, I anticipated like coming to shore somewhere pretty far away from our campsite, and then just spending the next half an hour paddling around with flashlights trying to find our camp. But it all worked out just because I followed this compass. And I think that a compass is a whole lot like God's word and his instructions. When we follow God's instructions for our life, It'll keep us on the right course and get us to where we want to go. And a lot of the problems that I experience in my life are because I think I know better and I go my own way instead of following God's instructions. How many of you are in the same boat where there's some stuff going on in your life and you know that maybe this will tell you a thing or two about how to deal with it, but you try to just go at it your own way? Whatever situation you're in, my hope for you this morning is that you will be encouraged and challenged by God's word as we see how some things play out for the nation of Israel. 
So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, and we'll pick up in verse 1. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, that's all right. We're also going to have it up on the screen for you to follow along. We're at the part in the Exodus story now where the Israelites have been delivered from slavery in Egypt and they've crossed the Red Sea on dry land and now they're on the other side of the sea. In verse 1, it says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. All right, now... These people have been out of Egypt for three months, and I've got a map up here on the screen just to show you where they've come from. I've always wanted to use one of these laser pointer things, so this is pretty cool for me. Uh, so the, the Israelites were living in the land of Goshen in Egypt, and when Pharaoh finally said that they could go free, they started coming down this way. And this is the Red Sea right here, and so they've got their back to the Red Sea, and the army of the Egyptians were coming at them, and so they crossed the Red Sea right here and then came down this way to the base of Mount Sinai. And this is where they're at in this passage. And this is a significant moment for Moses, being at the base of Mount Sinai, because Moses was born and raised in Egypt. But as an adult, he killed an Egyptian slave driver, and when the king of Egypt found out that Moses was a murderer, he wanted to kill Moses. And so Moses ran for his life. He left Egypt and came to the land of Midian. And Moses settled down in the land of Midian for about 40 years and became a shepherd. And one day when Moses was out with his sheep out in this area, God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush and called Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver the Israelites from slavery. And this is what God said to Moses at the base of that mountain. He said, I will be with you, and this will be a, the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And now things have come full circle for Moses. The people of Israel have been delivered from slavery, and they're at the base of the mountain. And God has given Moses this sign and proved that he is faithful, that he has been with them every step of the way, and that Moses really is their leader. And when Moses... Let's go back down to... To verse 4, and just look again at what God did for these people. God said to Moses to pass on these words. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Let's just talk about how God was faithful to deliver these people. When Moses finally went back to the land of Egypt, he confronted Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh said, 
Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? And so God sent 10 plagues on the land of Egypt to show Pharaoh, to show the Egyptians, and even to show the Israelites that he is the one true God, that he is worthy of all obedience and all worship. And finally, on the last plague, the plague of death, Pharaoh was brought to the breaking point. And he, he finally said to Moses, go, take the people, get out of here. And so Moses started gathering the people together. And God even made it so that the Egyptians would want to give away their resources and their wealth to the Israelites. They're like, here, you want my clothes, my money, you want my credit card number? And the Israelites are like, all right, sure, here. And so they were slaves, and now they're walking out of Egypt with their pockets loaded with loot. And this is just another example of God's faithfulness for them and providing them everything that they need. And after the Israelites had been traveling for a while, Pharaoh got to think, and he's like, you know what, I'm just watching all my slave labor just go ahead and leave me. I mean, they were like the backbone of the Egyptian economy. And so Pharaoh rallied together his best chariots and his strongest troops, and then they started chasing the Israelites down. And the Israelites were backed up against the Red Sea, and they're calling out to God, like, God, we've got the Red Sea on this one side, we've got this army chasing us on the other side, why have you just brought us out here just to die? But God showed his faithfulness again, and he split the sea apart so that they could walk on dry land to get across And then just as the Egyptian army was chasing after them, God sent the water of the sea crashing down and wiped out all of those soldiers. And so the Israelites didn't even have to swing a sword or throw a spear because God had fought that battle for them. And this is how God carried the Israelites on wings like eagles. This picture here is of a mother eagle flying underneath her baby eagle that's learning how to fly. And if that baby eagle was ever to fall, the mother would be there to catch them. And so God is saying, I've been with you every single step of the way. And the Exodus is not just about getting the nation of Israel out of Egypt, but it was about getting Israel close to God. Out of all the nations in the world, God chose the people of Israel to be his special people. It's not because the Israelites had it all together. It's not because they were a super strong nation. It's not because they were smart or even because they were virtuous. But it was because of God's grace that he chose them to have this special relationship with him. And all that God is asking for in return is their obedience Let's look at that in the first part of verse 5. God says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. God is asking for full, full obedience. And the next five chapters of the book of Exodus are all about God's specific instructions for the nation of Israel. He gives instructions about how to treat their slaves or uh, the celebrations to, to hold and to celebrate or even how to enforce justice. And all of these instructions and rules are called the law. Now, God brought the nation of Israel 
out of bondage in Egypt, and then he called them to a relationship with himself and asked for their obedience. And I think that the order of these events is very significant. I mean, what if God had reversed the order there? What if while the Israelites were still in bondage in Egypt, God said to Moses, all right, Moses, here's the plan. When all the people fully keep all these commandments I'm about to give them, and when they keep this covenant, this agreement that I have for them, then I will deliver them from Egypt. Well, if that was the case, the nation of Israel would probably still be in Egypt. But God is gracious. He delivered them out of there, called them to a a relationship with himself, and then asked for their obedience. And I think that even as New Testament believers, the pattern is the same for us. You see, we don't have to have our act together. It's not like we have to go to church every Sunday, follow all of God's commandments, and pray every morning before we can have a relationship with God. We don't have to have it all together before God will save us. Instead, God offers us salvation, and then he asks us to live in obedience to him. And this is why I don't think that we should be expecting people who don't have a relationship with God to be living like Christians. We shouldn't have that kind of standard for them because they don't have that relationship. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you can look back in your past and see God's faithfulness, how he has delivered you from sin, how he has called you to a relationship with himself, called you his child, then God is calling you to obedience as well. And see, we don't have to follow the laws and all the rules that God gave to the nation of Israel because those rules and those regulations were specific to the nation of Israel during that time period. They were in a covenant With God. And a covenant is really just a biblical word for an agreement or a deal. And this was a conditional covenant that God had for them. He said, All right, if you keep all of my laws and all of my instructions, then you'll be blessed. But if you follow after false gods, if you disobey all of my rules and instructions, then you're going to experience some pretty negative consequences. And so obedience to God was the pathway for blessing for the Israelites. But more than anything else, this covenant that God had with the people and all of the laws and rules really just showed how sinful the people were. Like the more rules that God gave them, the more rules that they had to break. And they proved time and time again that they were incapable of living in full obedience to God, that they continually broke this covenant, this deal that God had with them. And even if we tried to obey all those rules, we too would fall short. The only one who has ever lived that out perfectly was Jesus. And when he came to earth, he perfectly followed all of these rules. He perfectly lived within the covenant that God had for his people. And when Jesus died on the cross, he put an end to the old covenant and he started a new covenant. So that as New Testament believers, we don't have to sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins. Because through Jesus' blood that was spilled on the cross, 
He made a way so that we can have forgiveness of sins and so that we can have a relationship with God. And so this is why our Bibles are broken up into the the Old Testament and the New Testament. And testament is really just another word for covenant. And those words can be used interchangeably. And so now as New Testament believers, it means that we can still eat pork. We can cut our hair. We can wear mixed fabrics in our clothes. And we don't have to, to sacrifice animals for our sins or, or observe all of the holidays and celebrations that the Israelites had to do. But all of the commands and instructions that are repeated or affirmed in the New Testament are still for us to follow today. And the pattern is still the same, that God calls us into a relationship with himself and then desires for us to live in obedience. And this is our truth for us to remember this morning, that we flourish under God's law. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, the brother of Jesus gives some instructions about how to relate to the law or the word of God. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Whenever I buy something like a blender, a house appliance, or a new clock, something that comes with an instruction manual, I always do one of two things with that instruction manual. So the first thing maybe I'll do is think, you know what? This is some really important information. Like, I I might want to look at this later. And so I tuck it away in the back of my closet, and it just sits there until I'm cleaning my closet and end up just throwing it away. The other thing I'll do with an instruction manual is I'll do a quick skim read, and then I'll think, all right, I don't need this thing anymore. I'll remember it. And then as I'm assembling this item, I'll find that there's like extra parts by the time that I'm done with it. I'm like, wow, sweet, they sent me some extras just in case something breaks. And usually something does break. And when something breaks, do you think I really go looking for that manual? (laughs) You bet I don't. Nope, instead I do the trick that always works. I smack it around a little bit, give it some wax, and it just gets it going the way it should. So I think of manuals oftentimes as just being like super restrictive, and I think that I know better. But how often do we treat the Word of God like an instruction manual? How many times do you come to church on a Sunday morning to hear the teaching of God's Word, and then by the time you make it to lunchtime and you're eating food, you don't even remember what you heard, and it really doesn't even shape the way that you live in the other six days of the week. Or maybe you're going through some really hard times right now, and you know that the Bible says a thing or two about how to deal with that situation, but instead of reaching into the back of your closet to get your Bible and to see what God has to say about that situation, you just kind of do things your own way. You think that, all right, I know best, I know best, I can get through this. 
We think of God's word sometimes as being restrictive, but in these verses, James is saying that the law actually gives freedom. The way that I think about this freedom, it's like wearing a seatbelt. I don't wear a seatbelt because I think it's the cool thing to do or even because it's comfortable, but I I wear a seatbelt because I trust that if I ever get into a car wreck, that that seatbelt will help keep me safe. And that safety is freedom. Or another example is I brush my teeth every day. And it's not because I love this daily routine. Like, honestly, I'd rather just skip it. But I trust that if I follow the instructions of my dentist, then hopefully by the time I make it to 80 years old, I'll be able to eat solid food. And some of you who are maybe closer to that age can appreciate that even more, that there is freedom in being able to eat solid food. We flourish under God's law. We'll never be able to live the best way possible by just doing things our own way and rejecting what God has for us. And the second truth, or uh, just another point that I want to bring to our attention this morning is that blessings of God are never found outside of the boundaries of God. Let me go back to that illustration I gave earlier on about following a compass on this canoe trip. I could have just thrown that compass away, followed my own directions, and eventually I would have gotten somewhere. But my desired destination was camp. And if I had thrown away that compass, yeah, I would have gotten some places, but I wouldn't end up in the places that I wanted to be. And oftentimes we have this desired destination of experiencing the blessings of God But then we throw away God's roadmap to experiencing those blessings and we end up in places that we don't want to be. And I really don't want that for any of us. We shouldn't think that we can experience God's blessings by throwing away the instructions that he gives us. And we flourish under God's law. And here's the second truth for us to remember this morning is that we are saved for God's mission Let's go back to verse 5 of chapter 19 in Exodus. The last part of verse 5 and into verse 6. It says, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, maybe you're wondering, all right, where does this idea of mission come from in these verses? Well, I think the idea of mission comes from what God is calling the nation of Israel. God is calling them priests. All right, well, what do priests do? Priests are mediators between God and other people. They represent the holiness of God, and they lead others to worship God. Later on in the book of Exodus, God sets aside the, nation, or the, the tribe of Levi to be the priests among the nation of Israel. But in this verse, God is setting aside the whole nation of Israel to be like priests to all the other nations. God is calling them to represent him to these other nations and to lead those other nations into worship of God. You see, God didn't call the nation of Israel into this special relationship just so they can have that relationship to themselves and enjoy it. 
But God is not an advocate of holy huddles. Instead, he's calling them to reach out to others. And here at Bridgewater, we've got pastors, we've got overseers, but maybe you don't come across anybody who has priest as like their job title or, or on their desk or anything like that. But the reality is that this morning, we are actually in a room full of priests. And in the New Testament, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, takes some of this terminology from the Old Testament and applies it to New Testament believers. And so I'll go ahead and read that from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So congratulations. If you are a believer in Jesus, then you are a priest. And it doesn't even matter how long you've been a Christian or what kind of position you hold in the church. And you're not just any kind of priest. Peter is saying that you are a royal priest. And God gives us this new identity so that we can talk to others about what God has done for us, to tell them about how God has called us out of darkness and into his light. We are delivered from sin to proclaim the message of deliverance. And I get that it's kind of weird to to talk about priests. Like, maybe that's not the kind of terminology that we're very familiar with, but I think another way of thinking about it is like missionaries, Oftentimes we think of missionaries as the people who are called to sell everything that they have and travel across seas to another country so they can share the good news of Jesus. And in a sense, yeah, those, those are missionaries. They are the people who are called to do that. But in a broader sense, we are all called to be missionaries. We are all called to take the gospel to people who haven't heard it before and to represent Jesus to other people And you don't even have to leave your community to do that. You don't even have to leave your community to come into contact with people from other nationalities or people who don't know the name of Jesus and to be able to represent God to them. Now, just just this last week, I was helping Bob come and set up the auditorium and uh, putting up all the chairs. And we were talking about sometimes that feeling you get when you're, you're sitting in these chairs on a Sunday morning And it's like the person who's preaching is looking right at you. And it's like that message was designed just for you. And you're feeling that conviction. Well, Bob was asking me, as someone who preaches on Sunday morning, if I ever feel that conviction too. And I sure do. And I I hate to, I would really hate to get up on a Sunday morning and say something that isn't really true in my life. And so I've been feeling this conviction about being a light to other people because, honestly, I feel like I can get caught up in this Christian bubble. It feels like all the people that I work with are Christians. Most of the things that I do after my workday are with Christians. And then on the weekends, I go to church, and for the most part, I'm surrounded by more Christians. And so I need to be super intentional about being active in a gym just to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus or to be playing sports and things with other people. And oftentimes, 
I can just get pretty lazy with my intentionality. Like I can go to the gym and think, all right, I'm going to go in, do my thing, get a good workout, and then get out of there. And I need to work really hard at having that intentionality of building relationships with people and representing God to people who don't know him. And God has delivered me from slavery to sin and called me into a relationship with him so that I can live for him in obedience and to take up this mission of representing him to other people. And if you are a believer in Jesus, then, then God has that same calling on your life. And if you are up for this calling and you want to put that into action, I've got just two very practical steps for you this morning. And the first thing is just to write down one application step every time you read your Bible during the week. And whether, whether you read your Bible seven out of seven days during the week or maybe even just two times during the week, my challenge for you is to write down one thing that you can do that day to live differently based on what you read. Because honestly, I can read my Bible in the morning, and then by the time I make it to the end of my day, I don't even remember what I read. And it really didn't change the way that I lived during that day. And so this is one practical step that we can take towards not just being hearers of the word of God, but taking the instruction that he has for us and putting it into action. The second step that you can take this morning is to pick up one of these invite cards on your seat. And these are for our Christmas services. And start even now inviting people to our Christmas Eve services. And we don't want to invite people to our Christmas Eve services just because we want to pack this place out. Like that's some super cool thing to do. But I think that the Christmas season is one of our best opportunities for people to come and hear the message of how God sent his son into the world to take care of our sin problem so that we can have a relationship with God. People who wouldn't normally set foot in a church are willing in just the Christmas spirit to get involved and to hear a message like that. And maybe somebody in your life, whether you know them or not, it's just one invite card away from hearing that message of what Jesus came to earth to do. And we can make a difference in their lives in representing God to them. Now let's, let's pray this morning as we close out because that's a lot on our plate that God has for us. And uh, we definitely need all the help that we can get. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did not Wait for us to clean up our act before you offered us salvation. God, if that was the case, there's no way that I could earn it. I fall short all the time. And God, I pray that for everybody else here this morning, that we would just see that you are worthy of all of our obedience. You've proven yourself time and time again that you are faithful. You proved that to the nation of Israel, and you've proved that to us as well and sending your son so that we can have a relationship with you. And really our, our obedience is the least that we can give you and you are worthy of it all. Uh, Jesus said that whoever loves me will keep my commandments. And God, there's, there's some times where I think I love you but the way that I'm acting doesn't show that. I pray for all of us that we would show that we love you by our actions and that we would um, live for you in all that we do. Help us to come alongside each other and encourage each other along the way. 
And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.